Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. I believe it is painful, yes, to be single and feel alone. But another reality is I think it's even more painful to be in a relationship and yet still feel alone. Being in a romantic relationship doesn't automatically eliminate feelings of loneliness. Distance can still build up. Relational frost can still set in. And you will end up saying a phrase like, I'm in a relationship, and yet I'm still lonely. I believe that the quality of life is determined by the quality of our relationships. And so today, I want to talk about combating emotional distance in our relationships. In 1 Corinthians 7, we're giving a beautiful command to keep love and affection in our relationships. 1 Corinthians 7.3 says, let the husband render to his wife the affection. Everybody say affection. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. It's a beautiful verse, but it's not always that easy to accomplish. Can I get a good amen? When Amritha and I first met and fell in like and fell in love, we spent all of our time talking and connecting and texting. And I would write her letters, and she would poke me on Facebook, (laughs) whatever that meant. We did so many adventures together, and we became so in sync that we had finished each other's sentences and sandwiches. And one day, we woke up, and we realized that we were in so much in sync that we even had the same haircut. She decided to straighten my hair one day, and she said, oh my goodness, I paid a lot of money for my haircut. You didn't, and yet we look exactly the same. Let's watch this picture. Look at that. Before we were engaged, before we were dating, this is what we look like, the same exact haircut. And then the years went on, and the haircuts continued to grow in sync. Next picture, please. I mean, it was total unity in our relationship. One heart, one mind, one haircut. But then you get married, and maybe you have kids, or get dogs, and somewhere along the road of life, you can drift. And you're just tempted to be roommates, existing in the same space physically, but not mentally or emotionally. I once gave Amritha the silent treatment for two weeks. She didn't realize it and said, doesn't it seem like we've been getting along great lately? My goodness. Some say that marriage has been turning lovers into roommates for thousands of years. But I don't think that's our calling as Christians. It's not that we end up hating the people we're with. It's just that we get busy with life. We've got to work. We've got to do chores. We've got to take care of things. And the relationship becomes stale. Who has time for romance and affection? So here's some signs maybe you have emotional distance in your relationship. You're only talking about plans or logistics. 
You have unresolved conflict and decreased communication. You have uncommunicated desires. You're not greeting each other. There's an excessive need for alone time. There's a dead bedroom and decreased intimacy. Disinterested in working on the relationship, or the relationship has become a chore. It happens to all of us. So what do we do when we have emotional distance in our relationships? Well, today I want to walk through 1 Corinthians 7 to share some principles that I believe have helped me and can help us. And the first thing I want to share is, number one, affection isn't a bargaining chip in a relationship. It's something Christians are called to give, but not demand. 1 Corinthians 7 says it like this, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together so that Satan does not tempt you because of the lack of your self-control. So the author of the scripture, Apostle Paul, says that both the wife and husband are due affection. Everybody say affection. So affection is part of something in our inheritance as a couple. It's part of something that we are due and something we ought to give. But why did the Apostle Paul write this in the scripture? Well, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and they were known for wild parties and lax sexual morality, where pretty much anything goes. And the Christians decided, we don't want to look like the world. We don't want to act like this culture. So we're not even going to have sexual affection with our partners in marriage. And so they went to an extreme. And so they write in 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 1, something that's crazy that Paul's like, I have to address this. Now, concerning the things that you wrote me. So what did they write him? They wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Paul hears this and says, what are you talking about? (laughs) I strongly disagree. (laughs) I think it is good to touch a woman. And uh, the people of God hesitantly said, amen. (laughs) And Paul's addressing this. He's like, I know the culture is wild. But you don't need to go to that extreme. He says that the husband and wife should show affection to one another. Affection isn't something to be despised or ashamed of. Affection is beautiful in marriage. It's good. Intimacy is wonderful. It's of God. He created this. It's not evil. It's something to be celebrated. Can I get a good amen? And then he says something that would have turned the entire culture upside down. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Well, this wouldn't have been controversial. They would have been like, yeah, of course the man has authority over the wife's body. In Roman culture, she's property. I could trade her. I could murder her with no legal ramifications. I can do with whatever I want with my wife, whatever I want, whenever I want. And so, of course, I have authority over her body. But Paul doesn't end there. And here's where he brings a beautiful Christian of ethic, of equality, and mutual submission. He says, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What, Paul? The women must have been wondering, are you saying that women have authority over the body of the husband? A woman could have authority over men? We're not just slaves or property. We can have agency and consent? 
And not only that, we have a say on what husbands can do with their bodies. Can you see how this would have been so countercultural in that time and context? You know, I've heard people quote this scripture in a way to coerce a partner into obligation, sex, or affection, but this completely misses the revolutionary mentality of the text, doesn't it? He's saying that it's not just women who are called to serve men, but men are called to serve women. And that in Christian marriage, both parties have agency, but are called to choose to lay down their lives for each other. So both men and women are responsible to initiate affection. And so if you're dealing with emotional distance, that means it's your responsibility to deal with it. I wrote it like this. Christian marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100-100, where both people choose to lay down their lives for each other. You know, in a culture where we're taught, like, I need to fight for myself, I'm entitled to my rights, the Christian faith calls us to lay down our rights, ourselves, and love selflessly. You know, I was raised in a culture that was kind of taught to withhold affection if you didn't get your way. If I upset my mom, she wouldn't talk to me for a month or two months. In fact, my mom's not very happy with me right now, so she hasn't talked to me in about a year and a half. And that's the culture I was raised in in my Sri Lankan culture. Someone doesn't treat you right, you move on. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, was the motto of my Sri Lankan family. And so early on, even in marriage, if Amritha wasn't performing right, I would withhold affection. I would withhold my heart. I wouldn't use kind words. But I'm thankful for passages like this that have taught me a more beautiful way, the way of Christ, amen? amen. Not to distance or stonewall or weaponize affection, because affection is not a bargaining chip. It's something we're called to give our partners. Christians are different. It shows that we are to serve others with the entirety of our lives. Now, look at the example of Jesus. We are told that we have authority over the body of our partner. And Jesus Christ, right, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen. And what does Jesus do with that authority for the ones he loves? Like the church is called the bride of Christ. And even while those people who make up the church have rejected Jesus, re rejected his words, rejected his ways, did Jesus scorn us? Did he turn his back on us? Did he isolate from us? No, he pursued us. Ephesians 5.25 says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And so in the culture that says take care of yourself, defend yourself, get yours, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, Jesus calls us to lay down our lives for the ones that we love. In the kingdom, it's not just about self-care. It's about self-sacrifice. You know, sometimes Amritha will clean our bathroom. And then she'll say, hey, Pradeepan, I cleaned our toilet. You can't use it anymore. <laughs> and I say, the toilet is for me to use. How can I not use it? Why, why did you clean it if nobody can use it? She's like, I like it clean. And I'm not sure how long I have to go without it. But I say, you know what? You have authority over my body. <laughs> so you can do with my body as you please. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you know, a week and a half ago, 
Amritha planned a hiking trip for me. Now, if you know her, you know she hates hiking. She's like, why are we walking somewhere just to walk the other way? We, what's the point of this? But she planned a hiking trip for us. Why? Because she said, I am going to give you the affection. The scripture says, you are due. And I know this will make you feel loved. And so I am forcing my body to go on this hike. My body is yours. Do with it as you please. And I just think this is beautiful. She's communicating that your pleasure is my priority. And I'm communicating your pleasure is my priority. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. We are each other's. And yes, like we read the scripture and we immediately think of like physical sexual intercourse. And yes, intercourse is physical, but biblical sex is physical, spiritual, and emotional. It's all of this. So when we are due affection, we are due showing love with our words, with our acts of service, with our time, with our lives, and our affection. And as the adage goes, foreplay begins in the kitchen. <laughs> I never thought I would be uh, saying this, but here's a, a quote on Christian sexual affection from John Piper. God help us. It is a mysterious stance of love in the Christian community as we lay down our rights and our demands and seek to outdo one another, not in what we can get, but in what we can give. Similarly, in marriage, we are seeking mainly to please the other. She wants to please him and so is prone to give what he desires. He wants to please her and so is prone not to demand what she finds unpleasant to give and vice versa. I love this beautiful picture of Mutual submission, mutual affection, and preferring and prioritizing the other person above ourselves. This is Christianity. We lay down our lives. Amen? And so this is a principle I think we need when dealing with emotional distance. Another principle that I see in this scripture that I have found helpful is number two, checking out emotionally is just as bad as checking out other people physically. You know, in my relationship with Amritha, it'd be inappropriate for me to check out other girls. But I think it's just as inappropriate for me to check out emotionally. You can be present physically, but not emotionally or mentally. And that makes it difficult to give your partner the affection that they're due. You know, recently I downloaded this app on my phone. It's called Jomo. There's another app like it called Opal. And it controls what social media or apps you can access on your phone. And I downloaded this so I could set certain times, like the morning and at night, times of deep, deep work during the day, and times when the family is all together. I have it so I can't get on Instagram or YouTube or Reddit for my doom scrolling habits. I just have it set so I don't have to use willpower or I don't find myself on my phone without realizing it. It's taken away the option from me. Why did I do that? Because I wanted to be present in the life of my family. I found that I would be holding a conversation with Amritha, and midway in the conversation, she would say, honey, I know you think you're having a conversation with me, but you're actually not speaking English. She would ask a question like, how are you doing? And I thought I was a great multitasker. And I would say, yeah. And she would say, 
you're not having a real conversation with me. Choose to be on your phone or choose to talk to me. But don't try to do both because it feels like your body is here, but your mind is somewhere else. And I thought, I don't want my family to feel like this. I don't want them to feel alone when I'm in the same room as them. I want to be mentally and emotionally present. And I learned this term called a bid for attention. And it's really shaped my perspective on how we ought to treat someone when it comes to affection. Have you ever heard of this term, a bid for attention? Let me read a definition. A bid is any attempt from one partner to another for attention, affirmation, affection, or any other positive connection. Bids show up in simple ways, a smile or wink, and more complex ways, like a request for advice or help. So when your partner says, on a road trip, hey, look at this tree. You have a choice to make. Am I going to look at that tree, or am I going to say, hold on? And by the time you look up, the tree is long gone. You have a choice to turn towards or to turn away. When someone says, check out this YouTube. When someone sends you a meme on Instagram and you don't respond, you've made a choice to turn away. These are all bids for attention. And uh, it is kind of interesting, the data behind these bids for attention. The Gottman Institute, they studied a lot of couples to determine what makes people get a divorce, what are some signs of divorce, and what are some signs that people stay together. And so they did this survey, and they followed up with couples over six years, and they discovered that couples that stay married turn towards one another 86% of the time when they get a bid for attention, and couples that divorce averaged only 33% of the time. So that means you can have signs in your marriage right now if you're going to get a divorce or not. If someone says, hey, I want to show you something, and you say, ah, hold on, hold on, hold on, eventually they're going to stop trying to show you something. Have you ever tried to give someone a high five? And they don't realize it. <laughs> and so now your hand is just in the air. And you, you just decide to comb your hair. <laughs> Who's been there, be honest? It, it's awkward. And so what do you do? You're embarrassed, and you're definitely not going to try to high five again. You're going to find a hole and die. <laughs> That's what we do. But when we're in our relationships, these emotional bids are like our partner extending a high five. And we say, I don't have time for that. I have something else that's a priority. I'm too busy to respond to your bid for attention. And so instead of turning towards you, hearing your heart, seeing what's important to you, sharing this moment and experience with you, I'm turning away. And that distance grows more and more and more. And here's a warning. If you keep on checking out, one day you're going to find that you're locked out of a heart. When someone says, I can't trust you with my important things, I can't trust you with what matters to me, because what is important to me is never important to you, they're going to stop introducing you to themselves. And that's scary. I love this quote. I don't know who wrote it, but it says, all relationships have one law. Never make the one you love feel alone, especially when you're there. You know, if you spent the attention that you spend on your phone with another person, you'd call that an emotional affair. But I, 
I'm guessing that most of us are having digital affairs on our partners, and it's not okay. Your partner deserves affection. The scripture says they are due affection. And if you've had a habit of not being present in your home, not being present in your relationship, it's time to repent and change our ways, amen? Our culture has a problem with loneliness, and these digital distractions are affairs, and they're ruining homes. It's time to change. Number three, something I'm seeing in the scripture is that we need to make a decision to intentionally grow together so that we don't grow apart. We have to make a decision. I am going to grow with you. I'm not just going to grow on my own by myself, but I'm going to make a choice to learn the same things as you, have the same experiences as you, go on the same adventures as you. And I believe that one of the best ways we can grow in intimacy and combat emotional distance is when we make the choice to seek God together. In the 90s, I learned a spiritual romantic principle, something that I'm going to share with you. But I am listening to the soundtrack from a Carmen album in the background of my mind. <laughs> but here's this graphic from the 90s. This is called the marriage triangle. Everybody say triangle. triangle. If you want to encounter and combat emotional distance, one of the best ways to grow in your unity and grow closer with your partner is by going towards Jesus together. So a lot of times, we think the husband needs to go after the wife, and the wife needs to go after the husband, and that's how we find unity. But you'll find that in this triangle, the closer the husband and the wife individually get to Jesus, the closer they are when they're connected at the top of the triangle. And so if you want to experience a unity that isn't contrived in human strength and wisdom, you'll find that by going after God together. Yes, God puts men and women together. Like Jesus said, what man or what God has put together, let no man put apart, right? Talking about marriage. But here's another spiritual principle. Yes, God puts marriages together, but he is also the one who holds them together. God created marriage, and we need him to sustain it. Amen? And so when we seek God as individuals, we'll find ourselves more connected than we could by seeking each other in our own strength. I never thought I'd be quoting this man, but I got a quote from Dr. Phil. Lord, help us. <laughs> the divorce rate in a, uh, the, sorry. The divorce. <laughs> 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 the divorce rate in America is at a minimum one out of two marriages. But the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about one in 10,000. Pretty impressive statistic, even if you reduce it a thousandfold. Everybody say thank you, Dr. Phil. <laughs> Amen, amen. And so seeking God together is beneficial for your marriage. It helps combat emotional distance. A couple that prays together, together. amen. A couple that prays together stays together. And so I know this sounds dangerous, but I want to challenge you in your relationships to get in the same echo chamber. I see couples that are in different echo chambers where they're caught in different algorithms and they're not learning together, they're not experiencing the same things together, and they begin to drift. But we've made an intentional decision to be in the same echo chamber so that we can have emotional and relational synergy. 
Where if Amrita is reading a book, guess what? I try to read that book with her. If, uh, if Amrita is watching Gilmore Girls, I'll maybe make an attempt to watch Gilmore Girls. Amrita even started watching an anime with me. It's, it's wild. It's wild. And so uh, it's, it's this way of saying we're going to share experiences and adventures. It's one of the reasons we decided to start this church together and co-pastor it. Because we've seen a lot of pastors where the pastor does one thing and the spouse is doing a completely different thing. And we decided we're going to do this together so that we're growing together, we're seeking God together, and it helps keep us connected. And it's beautiful praying together, reading together, learning together, going to conferences together, watching shows together, sharing not maybe all of your hobbies together, but maybe a few. You know, when Amrita and I first met, she was in this church service in Colorado Springs. And this was like an amazing church with passionate worship. And she would go to the front at the altar and just worship. And I thought it was so beautiful. And I was like, I want to meet that girl. But she would come late, and she would leave early, because she just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord and not his inconvenient people. (laughs) She just wanted God. And I I saw her do this all the time. I go, I want to meet this girl. And so in order to connect with her, to grow in unity with her, you know what I had to do? I had to go worship at the altar. Oh, come to the altar, going to get married. So, so anyways, so she's at the altar. I'm at the altar. We're worshiping. But mid-chorus, I tap her on the shoulder. I'm like, hey. <laughs> it's true, right? I notice you worshiping. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering if you would uh, like to accompany me to uh, old Chicago, (laughs) a pizza restaurant. And she went with me. (laughs) Glory to God. But the reason I was able to connect with her is because I entered into the presence of God with her. And that has not changed in our marriage. There are times where I'm like, in my flesh, I'm not living in a godly way. And Amrita will say, hey, come back to God. Let's pray together. Let's go after his presence together. And it bonds us again. There are times where Amritha is in a mood. She's in her flesh. It's just, it's not going well. And then I say, Amritha, this is how our family is going to be godly. And we're going to seek the Lord together. And I'm telling you, that foundation brings us a unity that's stronger than our own wisdom and our own willpower. And if we want to stay connected for the long haul, I'm telling you what, we need that. I mean, our, our relationships had so many ups and downs. There are times where we didn't think we would make it. There are times where we said to our counselor, I don't know if we should make it. Ups and downs, but we made Jesus the foundation of our relationship. He was a firm foundation. He was the bedrock. And no matter how dark things got, we always had the presence of the Lord holding us together. And God put your relationships together. And I'm telling you, he wants to hold them together. And he's with us. He's for us. And he has a purpose and a plan of love for you. You know, I've shared that every generation in my family has gotten a divorce. 
And I, I thought I was going to have all these bad habits in my relationship. And I had so many of them, like stonewalling. Or even when Amritha used to compliment me early on in our marriage, I would immediately insult her. And it was a way of creating emotional distance, because I, I didn't want to be vulnerable. To accept a compliment, to accept affection, to accept touch, it's vulnerable, right? It leaves you exposed. If I let this person love me, they could really hurt me even deeper. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And I would just shut her down. But I was like, you know what? I'm forging a new path that maybe my family didn't even know. She is due affection. I am worthy of affection because of Christ. And so this is going to be a beautiful, affectionate, vulnerable, and intimate relationship. And there's something that just rocked my world a couple weeks ago. My sister, who was not Christian, most of my life mocked my faith, didn't want to come to church with me, wasn't really sure why I was a pastor, was an activist in her own right. Well, she, a couple of weeks ago, asked Amrita and I to do her premarital counseling because she saw that you guys have been church planters, you've been special needs parents, you've had ups and downs, but your love for each other is obviously based on a strength that's higher than your own power. Because we haven't been able to tap into that as a family for generations. And I see your resilience. I see your beauty. And so I want to apply the same principles in my marriage that you've applied in your marriage. And now she's a, a follower of Jesus, looking for advice from her pastor brother, trying to build her marriage on the principles of the scripture. And I just think, what hope? What beauty we have in Christ. Thank God for these scriptures that are setting us up for success. God has given us relationships, and he will hold our relationships together with his very presence. Christ holds everything together. And so I want to challenge you with one last thought. You know, our culture celebrates bad relationships. Be selfish. Give your best to your career. But I just listened to this pastor share something that I want to share with you. John Mark Comer, he wrote this. Live for your eulogy, not your resume. We live in a culture that says live to pad your resume, pad your LinkedIn profile, to make lots of money, to have a great career. But at the end of your life, you're not going to probably wish you worked more. At the end of your life, you're probably going to wish I would have loved more. I would have showed the people that are important to me that they're important. Do you assume that the people that are important to you know that they're important to you? Does your partner have to guess that they matter? Do they have to guess that you're interested in them? Or do you show it with your word, your time, your deeds, your service, your affection? You know, I just watched this report where Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, the basketball player, he said, I messed up my family. And uh, I messed up my my." relationship with my wife, and now my kids don't want to have anything to do with me, and now I live in a 100,000 square foot house by myself. His resume looks great, but he is mourning the loss of what people will say at his eulogy. And so live for your eulogy. And I believe that you can do this. You can have a, a vulnerable, intimate, connected, emotionally vulnerable, and lovely relationship built on Christ. Amen? Who wants that? I know I do. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this word. And I pray that you'd help us to build our lives 
our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, our intimacy with you, Christ, on these principles we see in the scripture. Lord, I pray that we'd prefer and prioritize one another. I pray that we would learn how to lay down our lives in self-sacrifice like you did, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be present in a relationship, to not just be physically present, but emotionally and mentally present. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow not apart, but to grow together by growing in you. Lord, we know you can do it. So I just pray as we close this relationship series, I pray a blessing of intimacy on everybody in this room. I pray a blessing of hope that you'd restore hope that marriage is possible. A good marriage is possible. Vulnerability is possible. Even if we've been hurt in the past, even if things are rough, even if things are so distant, Lord, I thank you for a ministry of reconciliation that exists in this room. So Lord, help our marriages to glorify your great name and show the world what is possible through Christ. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.